but where is our confidence? Where is that eager desire to wake up in the morning and lay any request before our Father's feet and look into our Father's eyes with eager expectation? Do we only have the sense that God is the Almighty God in heaven who created the stars with his fingertips? He's this huge God. But isn't he the same God who created us, who knit us together in our mother's womb? This is our God. And he's with us every step of the way. He was with those people at the wedding. He is with us this morning. And so he sees what we see. He hears what we hear. He observes the problems that we are experiencing. Jesus goes above and beyond any sort of limited expectation we might place on him. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Pastor, as previewed, we are here at a wedding this morning. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. The Gospel according to John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. So a couple of summers ago, I was at this wedding, and it was a really hot summer day. The heat index said 103 degrees. People were hot, people were sweating, and the drinks were flowing. As it turns out, the wedding ran out of wine. Now, the, the groom of this wedding had, had tried his best to calculate the exact number of bottles for a wedding this size, but they still ran out. Now, I know that this groom tried his absolute best because I was the groom. <laughs> True story, Kyla and I actually ran out of wine at our wedding. 
Twice, actually. It was a couple hours after the dinner, and the lady who was in charge of the banquet hall came and found us and let us know that we had run out of wine. But it was, it was a pretty easy fix. We just ordered a couple more bottles from the bar. Then a couple hours later, the same lady finds us and lets us know that, again, we had run out. And so we bought a couple more bottles. The couple at Cana, they didn't run out of wine twice. They probably didn't run out of wine for a couple of months after their wedding either. 600 bottles would be a lowball estimate of how much wine Jesus made. He went above and beyond. And, and that's, that's what Jesus does, not just when it comes to wine. Jesus goes above and beyond any sort of limits that we could possibly come up with. And this morning, I want to point out three specific areas where Jesus goes above and beyond. Jesus goes above and beyond our expectations. He goes above and beyond our needs. And finally, above and beyond our hopes. So that first one, Jesus goes above and beyond our expectations. This wedding at Cana, picture a small town up on the rugged hills of Galilee. Down below are these perfectly flat plains, and you can see for miles. The sun is hiding below the dark silhouettes of the mountains across the way. Just a beautiful night for a wedding. And the people there, you've got Jesus, Jesus' mother, and Jesus' new disciples. What a special time. Mary, the mother of Jesus, gets to meet the men who would be with Jesus through it all. And they're celebrating this man and woman joined together. It's beautiful. But the words, there's no more wine, those aren't the words that you want to hear at a wedding Believe me. Nobody wants to be remembered as that couple who ran out of drinks really early on in the night. It's sort of embarrassing. And it's, it's not the news that you want spreading around the party either. But somehow, Mary hears this news. She hears this news and she doesn't throw up her hands and say, well, that's too bad. Sorry, guys. That really stinks. She doesn't do that because... She knows about one name on the guest list. It's not a winemaker. It's not a wine distributor. It's a carpenter, actually. Her own son, Jesus, is right there with them at the wedding, and she knows that. I'll say that the conversation between mother and son that we have here, it's, it's a little bit strange at first glance. Mary takes this problem of no wine and she goes to Jesus and she lets him know. Jesus isn't being rude to Mary, but his answer, it's not what you'd expect exactly. He says to her, woman, why do you involve me? Why does Mary involve Jesus? I can say it's not just to be the bearer of bad news. She's not taking this information of no more wine and just passing it along to Jesus, spreading this this gossip at the wedding. It's not that. And we know that not because of her words to Jesus exactly, but because of her words to the servants, the servants who are standing by. Did you catch it? 
She says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Mary doesn't know what it's going to be exactly. But why did she involve Jesus? Because she expects something. She expects that Jesus can and will do something. Mary here is a model of prayer, really, if you think about it. She recognizes this problem, and then she goes to Jesus, and she talks about it. That's prayer, right? But I think we can take it a step further than that, because this this is confident prayer. This is the kind of prayer that King David writes about in the Psalms. This is how how David writes about it in Psalm 5. It's it's sort of picturesque language. He says, in the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. Do you see the confidence in that waiting and eager expectation? Now, I don't have a dog, but I've heard that dogs will do this thing. Maybe, Maybe your dog does something like this. It's, it's early in the morning, you're just getting out of bed, and your dog will grab her leash, and she'll bring it to your bedroom, and she'll lay it at your feet. And then she'll just sit there looking up at you with her wide eyes, her tail wagging. She's just waiting to go for that morning walk. If, if we think about prayer in that way, do you see the confidence, that waiting and eager expectation? That's what Mary did here, really. She brought this problem to Jesus, and even after he said, woman, why do you involve me? She doesn't walk away defeated. Her faith held on. And so she tells those servants, whatever it is that this man tells you to do, be sure to do it. And then she waits. Do you think that that picture, that model matches up with our prayer life always? Do we have that same sort of confidence to lay any request before our Father's feet? Or are there some requests that we hold on to? Maybe it's things that we think are too small to bring to God in prayer, too small to lay at our Heavenly Father's feet. But you think about it, you go through your day, think about how many small little things go wrong. How many things frustrate you? How many things make you worry? And is it those things, those small things that we think are too insignificant? We don't want to bother God. He's got other bigger problems to deal with. Or maybe it's, it's a sense that unless something is, is really going wrong in our lives, then we couldn't possibly write it on one of those connection cards as a prayer request. We wouldn't wouldn't want to bother the church. We wouldn't want to bother God with these insignificant things. It just, this doesn't make the cut. We get this idea that we have this expectation that God doesn't want to hear those prayers too. But where is our confidence Where is that eager desire to wake up in the morning and lay any request before our Father's feet and look into our Father's eyes with eager expectation? Do we only have the sense that God is the Almighty God in heaven who created the stars with his fingertips? He's this huge God. But 
isn't he the same God who created us, who knit us together in our mother's womb? This is our God. And he's with us every step of the way. He was with those people at the wedding. He is with us this morning. And so he sees what we see. He hears what we hear. He observes the problems that we are experiencing. Jesus goes above and beyond any sort of limited expectation we might place on him. Any sort of doubt. I want to come back to this conversation between Jesus and Mary and to this point, but I want to move on first to our second point, that Jesus goes above and beyond our needs. So where we left off in the story, Mary was waiting. And Mary may have had to wait for quite some time. We don't know how long it took for Jesus to act, but it seems like it was relatively quickly. But the servants had quite the task in front of them. They had to fill up all of six jars with water. They had to fill up well over a hundred gallons of water. So this was no small task. And you've got to wonder, what are these servants thinking? As they're muscling these, these buckets of water, they're dripping in sweat. All for what? Why is this guy telling us to get all this water? Doesn't he know that this, this party needs wine? But Jesus knows what the need is. And he provides for that need. And those servants took that water, turned wine to the master of the banquet. He didn't know where it came from. But those servants, they knew exactly where it came from. Those servants who drew every last drop of water knew exactly where that water had come from. They knew. You see Jesus here at this wedding. I don't think anybody who hears this story of Jesus at the wedding is going to argue whether or not Jesus is Lord over nature. One poet put it this way, the water met its master and blushed. Isn't that a neat way to think about this miracle? Clearly, Jesus is Lord over nature. Nobody's going to argue about that. But there's something else about Jesus that I think some people might argue about. Maybe you've experienced it. I've, I've seen it in, in people's faces when I've let them know where I am every Sunday morning. Or I've heard it in, in a big group setting when somebody will, will say something, then they'll, they'll look at you, catch themselves, kind of backtrack a little bit and say, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot, you're, you're starting to become a pastor. You should probably plug your ears about that. Or playing on a team. Maybe this was a joke, but, but somebody said to me, oh, great, you're in our team. Guess we can't cheat. Whether, whether that's a joke, whether that's lighthearted, I think it speaks to the perception that people today have that a Christian's life is less. It's less fun, it's less exciting, it's less enjoyable. Now, we do have to be careful when we talk about this. The same disciple John who tasted this magnificent wine at the wedding, 
Same disciple who Jesus said would drink the cup of suffering. God doesn't specifically promise that unbelievers are going to suffer here on earth, but he does specifically promise that believers will. I hope that that doesn't come as a surprise. But a Christian's life is never less. A Christian's life is always more. See this at the wedding. Isn't it something that Jesus, this is his first week of public ministry, and he is at a wedding with his friends, with his family, celebrating. And this problem that the wedding runs into, running out of wine, it's not so much a matter of life or death. Certainly there is this aspect, Jesus is, is saving this couple from the public shame of it all. But at the end of the day, these people weren't going to die of thirst. There was a ton of water on hand, clearly. So that wasn't the issue. The issue, if you really think about it, was this party had run out of alcohol. And yet Jesus provides for that need, too. He goes above and beyond our basic needs of survival. And he provides something that causes pleasure. He takes something that causes pleasure, wine, and he multiplies it, both in quantity, more than 600 bottles, and in quality. There is this prayer that the Jews would say before enjoying a glass of wine. They would, they would pray, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who created the fruit of the vine. What does a glass of wine made by the king of the universe, the creator of the world, taste like? Jesus goes above and beyond giving good gifts. He delights in giving the very best gifts. And what's more, he delights when we, his people, delight in those gifts, when we find joy in those gifts. But what about suffering, you may ask? Doesn't that make our life less? That's not how the Apostle Paul talks about it. Paul, very familiar with suffering, does not talk about suffering as something that makes life less, but more. He says, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It's the highest Privilege. It gives our life the highest meaning that we get to live our lives for Christ, the Savior of the world. Life in Christ is always more. The last point that I want to make with you this morning is that Jesus goes above and beyond our hopes. Jesus' new disciples, they see this, this miracle at the wedding and they've got to be thinking, what is next? What is this man going to do next? The man who can change water into wine. John, the, the disciple, writes, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. These disciples, they didn't drop everything just to follow some rabbi. They saw the glory of God in this man, God's son. 
And, and Mary saw it too. She saw that Jesus was not only her son, but that he was God's son. That's why if we flip back to that conversation between mother and son, Jesus doesn't address Mary as the mother who carried him in her belly for nine months. He doesn't do that. He addresses her as the woman whose sins he came to carry on his back. This is where Jesus is pointing us. This miracle up on the hill of Cana is only a preview of what's to come on the greater mountain of Calvary. This look into Jesus' glory, it's only a glimpse of the greater glory that he would reveal on Golgotha. This is where Jesus is pointing when he tells Mary that his hour had not yet come. This hour, this this time where the prophets had been pointing, the messianic age, Amos talks about it when the the mountains will drip with new wine. And Isaiah says, on the mountain the Lord will prepare this feast for all peoples with the best food, with the best wine. This hour, this is the hour of the Messiah. This hour is the hour of your salvation. The hour when a perfect man God's son hung on the cross. The hour when he laid his request before his father's feet, praying, Father, forgive them. That was a confident prayer. He prayed so boldly, so confidently, knowing that those sins would be forgiven, that his own blood that was being shed would wash away those sins. The same blood that washes away our sins, our sins of doubt, our sins of low expectations. And that gives us the confidence. We are in Christ's blood, his forgiveness, his grace. And so we can confidently approach his throne with any request. This is the hour in which Jesus again refers to his mother Mary as woman. When he looks down at her from the cross and he says, Woman, here is your son. Making this disciple John her son and going above and beyond her needs, taking care of his mother. And his words to the criminal hanging next to him, this criminal who is in agony, who's suffering, who's just hoping that this time would end. To hear those words from Jesus' lips, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise, the wedding feast of the Lamb. It goes above and beyond anything you and I could ever hope for. I was at a wedding a couple of summers ago. The pastor was preaching on Psalm 73. You guessed it, it was my wedding. And the preacher, my dad, was talking about all the different Amazon gift packages that had been arriving at his doorstep the weeks leading up to the wedding. Those gifts above and beyond anything we could have expected, needed, hoped for. But eventually, those gifts, they they fade into the background. You think about this, this wedding at Cana. However many months it took, eventually that wine did run out. 
but Jesus' glory never fades. And his love for us never runs out. Jesus has always gone above and beyond, and he always will. He is the strength of our hearts and our portion forever. Mm-hmm.